The following podcast contains explicit language. Hannah is 35 years old. She lives in LA and she works in television. Her dating profile describes her as a nerdy indoor kid, a passionate Liz Lemon-esque pop culture aficionado. And then it says that she's a friend of Bill's. Which is like our sort of insider code. She's not just bragging about having a friend named Bill. That's a way to sort of maintain the anonymity, but also sort of try to suss out, like, did I meet you in an AA meeting? Are you a friend of Bill? Bill Wilson started Alcoholics Anonymous in 1935. And since anonymity is at the core of the organization, saying you're a friend of Bill means you're in recovery. This can be helpful code in a dating profile. But not every guy reads with that level of detail. So if someone asks me out for a drink and I'm feeling snarky, I will often say, like, might I suggest you Google the term friend of Bill? (laughs) (laughs) And if he does Google it, that's some bonus points. You made the extra effort to, like, Google something for two seconds. Swoon! The reason Hannah says this right there in her profile is because when it comes to first dates, let's go out for a drink is the default setting. Getting drinks is like a stand-in for a thing that actually has nothing to do with drinking. It's just a expression for like that thing that we do casually that isn't quite dinner. But if you don't drink, you have what? Coffee. Yeah, coffee. coffee. Always coffee. <laughs> Nothing's less sexy than coffee. I'm Andres Lindsay, and this is Why a Why. Today on the show, we're going to talk about what it means to date without drinking. With Hannah in Los Angeles is John. John's gay, and he's 27 years old. And after going through treatment, he's been sober for four years. I will make a vouch. This might be, I guess, a New York or L.A. thing, but I will vouch for doing escape rooms because you can see what they're like when they're a little bit competitive. And here in New York with me is Stephanie. She's 29 years old, and for her, not drinking is just a preference. I went on a date once, and I walked a dog, his dog, in a park. Was he there, too? He was there. (laughs) (laughs) Even though most of my dates involve getting drinks, drinking isn't what it's about for me. For me, the heart of dating is just a process of telling someone else who I am. And that process is sometimes easier. When I have a drink in my hand, when I'm in a dimly lit room, when I can actually see and smell that person and notice how they move, the hope is that in the situation where you're having a drink, you build up enough affection to tolerate everything they're about to tell you. But if you don't drink, sometimes that who you are stuff comes up uncomfortably early. It comes up in your actual answer to the question, do you want to get a drink? So let's go now to our panel chat and see how our different guests handle this. For Hannah, she doesn't mind going there right away. Eh, I think that it, like, cuts to the chase. I'm into invasive, personally. Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't volunteer it literally, like, the second sentence of my profile if I wasn't ready to talk about it. And and the fear of not getting out in front of it is, like, maybe I just won't mention anything, you know, until, like, date three or four. And by then, it's just a weird thing to have withheld. Is it tedious to have to tell the story over and over again or not? Like my breakup or the time I lost a job, these are hard stories for me to tell and I kind of never know how long to make it. Is it that way with a sobriety story or not? 
addicts and alcoholics, we're super self-centered. We can talk about ourselves. We we go to meetings on a regular basis with the intention of talking about ourselves. It's, it's just like a real great getting to know you, skip the bullshit. I would rather date someone who is a widower or whose parents are sick or who, you know, like – had to deal with, like, some, like, real serious life stuff as opposed to just, like, skipping around through their totally trauma-free life, which is just, like, eh, pass. Well, uh, will you tell us your your character-building life stuff? Like, how, how, did, how did pop become a problem? It's a real tricky one because pot addiction doesn't have the markers of distress and destruction that you're used to seeing when you hear about drunks or addicts. So, like, I was never, like, passed out in an alley with a needle hanging out of my arm or anything. I'm, like, a pretty dorky person, and being a pot addict is a pretty dorky addiction. Like, it's just (laughs) not—sometimes I have junkie envy, you know? It's not very rock and roll. Um, So, I mean, truth be told, the sort of inciting incident of me getting sober was being fired from a job, um, not directly related to my using, but God knows it didn't help. And after, you know, sort of six months of just not having anything else to do besides smoke all the time, I just realized that, you know, I <laughs> I went to my therapist at the time and was like, you know, I just feel like I should go to like a life rehab and what I had in mind was, like, that last episode of Mad Men where he goes <laughs> to that place in Big Sur to meditate. And so I'm like, got to go to – well, this was pre-Mad Men ending. But that was what I had in mind. And she was like, mm, I see your life rehab, and I raise you a regular old rehab. <laughs> and I was like, ah, shit. You know, there there are a lot of rules when it comes to sobriety, and it's very black and white, and those are the kinds of – Things that can be really helpful and the idea of like, I'm just going to like cut down and sort of manage my addiction was never going to work out for me. It was just like all or nothing. And and I could tell that the way that I smoked was different from other people because, you know, as I got older, all of my friends were sort of dropping off. Like no one else was smoking anymore. And it was a real hassle. It was so disappointing. Like another one bites the dust. And friends of mine would like you know, let's say smoke once a week. You know, they had weed all week long. And to me, that was absolutely insane. Like, what's wrong with those other six nights? You got it. Smoke it. And that was such a, like, unequivocal truth for me that the idea of, like, I'm just going to, like, not smoke for a night? Like, why? I was scraping bowls and smoking resin and doing all kinds of disgusting creative stuff to stay high if I like, if it wasn't immediately available. And it is always. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's sort of my, my story. But it's a weird one because there's tons of super successful people, especially out here, who are just incredibly creative, successful potheads. God knows I clung to those examples for years. It was like, oh, the Seth Rogans and the Bill Mars. And it was just like, okay, if they can do it, I can do it. But, like, my life didn't look like theirs. And your relationship with drinking was not as much of a problem for you, but being sober means you cut all of this out, right? Yeah. We we say um, no mind-altering substances. Is that the phrase? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there are 
degrees of that also. I mean, back in the early days, being on antidepressants wasn't allowed. And, you know, over time, you know, some of the rules shift and change, but there are sober people that smoke cigarettes and that's allowed. I mean, I guess like every fellowship kind of has their own little specific rules. But yeah, my intention was that I would like continue to drink because it just wasn't that problematic for me. So why not? But I would cut out smoking. And then I sort of learned that like, nah, dude, like that's not, (laughs) that's not how it works. Because as soon as you're having a rough day, you tell yourself that you're not going to smoke, but like, it's like whack-a-mole, you know, like you knock one thing out and another thing pops right back up. So it's not really the substance itself. It's just whatever helps you check out. So, uh, you know, election day, all three of you didn't have anything to drink. <laughs> Stone, <No>. cold, <laughs> sad, yeah. sober. Totally sober. What did you do? Cried myself to sleep. <laughs> I, I stayed home. I did not go into to work at all. I just couldn't. Yeah, I just kind of slept in the next morning a little bit. So much sleeping. So much sleeping. And just kind of brushed off. I have like a meditation app. I used that. And I just kind of like continued with the day. Yeah. Yeah. Like even if I was smoking, it wasn't going to change the fact that this is who our president is. Right. Right. So um, I think it's also a thing of... You know, I think, at least for myself, like, I've gotten quite good at rolling with the punches. If something terrible happens, God forbid, like our new president, then it's like, all right, you kind of learn to at least, like, work through it, work with it, and then focus on the next day, at least in terms of sobriety, you know? Yeah, that one-day-at-a-time cliche, like, exists for a reason. Yeah. For non-sober individuals, then it's like, wow, this day's been really stressful. I'm going to have a glass of wine or two. And then just to like calm down a little bit, take the edge off and go to bed. I don't understand what just one is. It has no meaning to me. So like that whole concept for me, it's like if I drink, it's like off to the races. So that also that awareness kind of helps in certain moments where it's like that lie of just one when that crops up is always kind of a lie that's right on the horizon that I don't indulge in moments of toughness. So when you guys are on the dating apps and you encounter someone whose profile involves drinking or some kind of 420 reference, is that an automatic no? Yes. Yeah. No, not necessarily. It's not a deal breaker. It's just something about them that's part of their personality or part of their life decision. And it's the same thing with me. I just don't choose to do that. You could date someone who drinks. I could. I think it would maybe be weird in the beginning. Smoking weed is the distinction for me. So, um, you know, if it's someone who, like, when he hangs out with that one buddy twice a year and he smokes weed, that's that's totally fine. But if you're going to, like, have weed in your house and smoke it every day. And by the way, when I ask, like, how often do you smoke? And they say, like, once a week. Yeah, that's what I used to say, too. (laughs) So, like, I know exactly what that means, you know? Um, Are those kind of guys still your type a little? Absolutely. (laughs) Like, yes, without a doubt. And it's a real bummer. You know, the the real sort of pothead woulda, coulda, shoulda for me. It was a guy that I went to college with, and we were always both dating other people. And he was um, film school. 
And he was an art director and still is. And an art director is like the rom-com equivalent of like an architect or something. You know, it's like sort of manly, but like totally creative. <laughs> so he was the art director for... Sorry, I have to beep this. This guy deserves his privacy. But just picture him working on your favorite album of last year. On paper, that's oh, perfect. Damn. You know, like what I would yeah. give to tell my parents <laughs> that that's who I'm dating. And he's super cute and like, you know, checks all the boxes. But he just started smoking weed two years ago. So unlike the way that everyone that I knew did it, which was like 16 years old, stumble on this thing that's fun and just don't stop or do stop. He was having that beginning love affair with smoking weed at, you know, in his mid-30s at the height of his super cool career. And it was just like, absolutely not. I could never. Like, it was just, it, it, it gets me flustered even thinking about it because everything was right except for this one glaring problem. <sighs> yeah, I mean, for me... <laughs> that's, like, that's heavy. That's yeah. a rough one. Wow, you're still thinking um, about him. Me too now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, God. I mean, I have, since getting sober, I've dated people who drink because they're very common and they <laughs> exist in the world and there's no real... I can't completely eliminate alcohol from my surroundings, sure. you know? You know, for instance, like I had... I went on a date with a guy and... You know, when we first saw each other, hi, how are you? I said, how was your day? And his first response was, I just went to my favorite wine store in Culver City and I got about $150 of wine. <laughs> first of all, that's already kind of a tacky first statement anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, to like attach this like a big dollar, dollar amount. I know. Come he like on. attaches the dollar amount. Like I spent all this like, money. Yeah. Cool. Um, so that was already kind of like, mm, I don't know. On top of it, the fact that it's clearly drinking is a really integral part of his life. Maybe just socially. That, to me, is a bit of a red flag for myself because, you know, kind of those checks always need to be in place. If I'm in a situation where I'm uncomfortable, can I get out of it really quickly? And with someone that I would be, you know, monogamous with or, like, think about having a long-term relationship with, those outs start to really diminish very quickly if I'm constantly surrounded by someone who's drinking all the time. Yeah, particularly when you recognize your old behavior in them and then it's like, I can't be fixing somebody. I need to be the least together person in this relationship. You can't be more yeah. of a mess than me. Yeah. But I find messes really attractive still, like you were I saying know. as well, where like someone <laughs> who I like when they're always five to ten minutes late a little bit and like they're still kind of out of breath. Like there's something about it where I'm like, you're on the go. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that why every movie about a rehab program involves a love story within the rehab program? Narratively, yeah, it works great. But also, and this is a true story about the business of sobriety, just a hot tip, that it is better for men in rehab's sobriety to be in a co-ed facility because recovering with women means more vulnerability, the shares are better, you're sort of willing to get in touch with yourself more. Men in women's early sobriety in a co-ed treatment center is very detrimental to the sobriety of women. So it's just better for business because there are more men in rehabs than there are women. Your success rates are higher if the 
majority of your group has a more successful sobriety experience. So sometimes it's it's hard not to feel like you're like this prop who's like self-sacrificing so that the men that we meet in rehab are more likely to recover. It's it's a bummer. It really it's complicated. But also that's another cliche that exists for a reason. I mean, everyone had a rehab boyfriend or girlfriend. It's just <laughs> including you, it's right? Really sexy. Yeah, absolutely. How'd that go? Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. We're totally married. <laughs> um, is it? Is yeah, it like you know, when I when I when I'm swiping on an app and I find someone who says they just moved to New York City? I oh instantly go no because yeah. because why? Why do you say no to those guys? Because uh, I just feel like they. They just want to be in it for the experience of like dating someone new, and they and, want like, me have to show them where to show them around. Yeah, they yeah. want me to show them where to go, what to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Like yep. I don't right. know. <laughs> is that similar to people who are new to drinking? Is it just like, oh, I don't want to go there? Well, yeah, you just don't want to like you know latch onto one thing as you're sort of mm-hmm. figuring out how to live your life without something else. And, like, what's more manipulative and addictive than falling in love? I mean, that's, like, can be the most destructive drug of all. And it, like, involves a whole other human being. So, yeah, if if a guy asks me, like, oh, how much time do you have? And I tell him five years. And then I ask him. And as I'm waiting for that answer, I'm kind of like, what's the fantasy going to be? Like, (laughs) I'm looking at his age. I'm sort of doing the math in my head. And if it's more time than me, that's always, like... Cha-ching! Like, that's hot. I'm into that. Let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll go from dating without drinking to sex without drinking. So let's imagine a listener is listening to you guys and they're saying, you know what, maybe I've, I just hadn't even thought I could take drinking off the table. Or maybe they're starting to realize that they might have a problem. What general advice do you guys have for listeners who might be thinking differently about their drinking after hearing today's show? Yeah, I would just say really like paying attention to the way you talk to yourself and others about your drinking and how it plays a role in your life and how you want to manage it. The biggest thing that kept me drinking for a long time was I couldn't imagine never drinking again. Mm -hmm. And that's where the one day at a time thing comes in, where it's like, you don't have, like, just for now, how about just not today? You know, just take that off, figure out, like, where you're going to fill that space with other things, and just go from there. It doesn't have to, you know, you're not going to get a lifetime of sobriety today anyway, so... And it's the only way that anyone else knows how to do this. I mean, it's really interesting that no, none of us have brought this up yet, but the not being under the influence of drugs and alcohol while dating means you're, you can't fall on the excuse of like, we got super drunk and had sex and we probably shouldn't have, but oh my God, it was so fun. I mean, you just kind of excuse so much bad behavior when you're allowed to use the excuse of drinking or doing drugs. And... Now, if you sleep with someone before you probably should have, like, that's on your sober, thoughtful decision-making and behavior. You you know, you, you don't have that crutch of, like, shouldn't have ordered that third drink. Anyway, my place. <laughs> what is uh, first-time sex with someone like when you're 
totally sober, not under the influence of anything. A bummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did they um, have to be sober also, or can they be drunk? I mean, for me, they can be drunk. I mean, on my end, I was, like, aware of the awkwardness and the limbsness of it in a way that I wasn't previously. I mean, back when I was smoking and drinking, I remember saying this to someone who maybe I was having sex with them for the first time, but I was, like, very fucked up and feeling really great. And I said, like, before we started having sex, I might tell you that I love you because I'm just, like, feeling so fucked up and great right now. Just go with it. Don't be weird. I don't actually feel that way. But, like, sometimes you're just, like, caught up in the moment. And that's weird. That's a weird thing to do that I will not – I don't do that. And I mean, it was just the once. It's not like I was just, like, throwing L-bombs all over the place. But, like, I, I'm just a lot more sort of conscious and intentional with my choices and behavior. Does it matter if the other person's drunk? Does it make it easier for you? I mean, as long as his ability to perform isn't impaired. Um, Always the issue. Do you guys have tips for getting out of your head in a situation like that? I'll say put your attention on them. Because if you're thinking about it, it means that you're paying attention to everything that you're doing. So just focus on what the other person is doing. And then that way that gets you out of your head. Um, okay, so you're on a date with someone and they have a drink. Do you guys still make out? Totally. Yeah. Big time. Oh, yeah. Love it. It's the closest I'll ever get to drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I mean, if, if, if someone's had, like, you know, a sort of, you know, a drink or two, but not more than that, like, love a good makeout where I can taste it. Because <laughs> I'm not breaking any rules. No. But, yeah, I, I think that's pretty sexy. And as we get ready to wrap up with this group, I want to focus a bit on Stephanie. We've been hearing less from her because, in a lot of ways, she's still figuring this stuff out. It was a choice to save money, to sleep better, to not have to ever recover from a hangover again, but also to help her dating life. So I have gone on dates that are just like coffee dates. But then as soon as alcohol is brought into the picture, there's this level of something's going to happen and I don't always want it to because I'm still getting to know the person. And I'm not a prude by any means, but I just, I don't know, for me, it just feels like kind of risky. She's still learning how to tell guys what she wants and doesn't want. Like this time she went on a date with the DJ and she thought this was really cool. She wanted to learn how to do it. And he offered to teach her how to DJ after they got coffee on a Sunday afternoon. I didn't even really put two and two together that would be going back to his apartment, which I don't even know why I didn't think of that. But after coffee, he was like, okay, let's go and I'll like teach you your lesson. And on the way, he stopped, we stopped by this liquor store and he said to me, go pick out a bottle of wine. And I'm thinking, uh-oh. I picked he made out. you pick it out. Yeah. I was like, why? I'm like, <laughs> just for, like, his collection? I don't know. So I, like, chose, like... Although, in all fairness, <laughs> if he was asking you to pick anything else, you'd probably be sort of, like, tickled by his interest in your choice. So, I mean, <laughs> this is a bad example of that, but let's not vilify the guy. Yeah. For this, the DJ, yes. yes. Not not, not the <laughs> wine choosing. But no, but I don't like the, like, it's on me, baby. You pick whatever you want. Yeah, I already... Uh, oh, yeah. no, that's true. 
But yeah, then we like went back to his apartment and I actually did learn how to DJ, which was cool. But then he was like trying to make out with me and like trying to do other stuff. And we had like a glass each and he tried to like pour me more and I just was really uncomfortable and felt super sketched out. So she made an excuse and bolted. But if she could go back, what would she do differently? Right when he said, oh, let's get wine, I should have just said, oh, I actually, whatever, made an, of an excuse that I feel tired even though I had just had coffee. I don't know. I would have thought of something or been like, oh, shoot, my friend needs me and I have to leave. <laughs> But God, I think lying is hard, though. I know. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, or just say, like, I'm not drinking right now. Yeah. Is another way to I go. think I'm just or I'm not feeling this, you know? Yeah. Oh, that one is so tough. I know. What do you guys think? Do you think Stephanie should be more direct about this? Or do you what do you think? I think it depends what you're looking for. I mean, I've got I've got a couple of, of years on you. So I think I'm to me that that feels just like wasting my time if it's the kind of thing that someone's going to turn out to really have an issue with like i want to dodge that bullet right away so you think i should just tell them from the start or state it somewhere in my profile i mean the profile thing is like very front and center you know i'm not outdoorsy so i put that on my profile because i'm never gonna go on a hike with any dude ever and if like you're really looking for a girlfriend to hike with let's not even have an initial conversation so i don't know i approach it pretty like mathematically <laughs> i mean i feel like even starting a profile with like non-drinker who xyz is also fine too yeah i like that too it's very direct Since our recording, Stephanie started telling more of her friends that she doesn't drink. Also, she even updated her dating profile. Now it says, hey, I don't really drink, so I'd love to do something that doesn't involve that. Think outside the box, boy. It's just a small change, but I think it's going to lead to more park dates, more smoothie dates, more walks with dogs. Because if there's anything that can make online dating just a little easier for you, why not do it? This show is produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Lindsay Cradwell. Our editor is Hilary Frank. The artwork changes every week thanks to Teddy Blanks at chips.nyc. Our theme music is by Andy Miklas, Casey Holford, and Lee Rosifer. Special thanks to Mia Lobel, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. So YOY now has our very first original piece of swag. It's a paper coaster with original artwork from Liana Fink, and you can only get one by signing up for our newsletter. Every week, we're sending 10 listeners who sign up for our newsletter a little YOY coaster. And it's a cool talisman. You could take it on a date with you. You could stick it under your coffee mug. You're going to like it. So go to yoy.sexy, that's a real URL, and sign up for our newsletter. Next time on YOY, you heard it here first, the hottest new dating trend of 2017. Going on like a errands at CVS date can be super fun and so revealing. I mean, like that will tell you more about someone than seeing them naked. I mean, are you a self-checkout <laughs> person or not?